Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. happened and I just finished editing the video from the 13th a lot of the videos I do lately talking to myself in die of vlog or guy of vlog I don't have to edit but I knew I had to edit that one to put in all the different screenshots and screen recordings and it was really a disaster I don't know if I got it all right and perfect in terms of everything but it's good enough but at least now I know what the heck I was talking about last. And in my last video on the 13th, I was talking about how I did take the dopamine boosters that day on the Friday. And I hadn't yet gone to sleep to find out what the effect would be on sleep. The night before, I didn't take the dopamine boosters and I slept better. I didn't have to get up and take an extra dose of the vitamins and supplements I'm taking for sleep. So what happened on the 13th was that I did in fact have to get up. I was trying to sleep for almost an hour and I couldn't sleep even though I did hook up the sleep cycle app and it showed that I was in deep sleep for that time but I was awake. So maybe I was breathing like I was in deep sleep and this is the thing with kind of like dreaming awake, like being awake, but it being in this dreamland and being able to see this stuff on the inner mind screen, yet wanting to go to sleep because that's what the material body needs. So I did have to get up, take more sleep supplements, and this is the thing, waiting too many days now, I don't even know which day I did what. I'm pretty sure, yeah, I took the dopamine boosters, had trouble sleeping. So then, yeah, that's right. I took a screenshot of the hour that I wasn't able to sleep. And then I got up, took the extra supplements, and I fell asleep and I'm having trouble remembering what I took exactly. It just, it doesn't matter. I had to take more sunflower lecithin, maybe tryptophan, glycine, taurine, zinc, probably not zinc. And then I did fall asleep. So then on the 14th, which was Saturday, I didn't take any dopamine boosters at all. I didn't take the rhodiola or the tryptophan, the tyrosine. I probably took magnolia bark and that's the only one and I don't think I took the skull cap. So there's not that many dopamine boosters. Some of them work on a dopamine a little bit. Some of the neuroplasticity ones. 
Okay, my brain is getting really confused and I'm going to leave that first part in just to show that I'm losing track of everything. I think it was on the 13th that I didn't take dopamine boosters. At least I didn't take tyrosine. And on the night of the 13th, I did sleep well without getting up and taking the extra stuff. sleep cycle app says I slept from 11.08 to 8.05 and I had 87% sleep quality according to their algorithm which is good but then the next day I got up and I was thinking well I may as well test these dopamine boosters again just to see if it really does affect my sleep or maybe it's something else so on the 14th I took the dopamine boosters I took the tyrosine I took the skull, well maybe not skull cap, I don't know if I have any, but I took the rhodiola. And then so on the night of the 14th, I couldn't sleep. And so I have a screenshot here of the hour that I was unable to sleep in the night to get up at like 1 in the morning to have to take these extra sleep vitamins, which the night before I fell asleep at, or I was in bed and fell asleep quickly after 11.08. So... Another thing is I haven't been wearing my darkness glasses as much because I haven't been home. But anyway, here's that screenshot. So I got up. I took extra glycine, maybe taurine, maybe tryptophan, things like that. But one thing I did take extra and I decided to take after reading an article about lithium orotate or about the orotate molecule and it said that at high doses lithium works on dopamine meaning bringing it down it wouldn't want they wouldn't want it to boost it in so-called bipolar but at low doses it works on serotonin so I was thinking well if I take a higher dose of lithium orotate it might work on the dopamine that extra dopamine that I boosted up and help me sleep so I took another close to 10 milligrams of lithium. Um, lithium orotate, it would weigh more, but it's elemental lithium through lithium orotate, which is the equivalent of, the, of two of the tablets of the Hans Napier Advanced Research brand. I took one of my ready-made caps of that because lithium can be sedating as well. And I did fall asleep. So, um... That was the experiment that those dopamine boosters do indeed make it harder for me to sleep. And so last night, after not taking any of the dopamine boosters all day, I went to sleep with my regular sleep vitamins you know I took the regular re regime of 5 sunflower lecithin, 2 tryptophan, 2 zinc and um, 
some glycine and some taurine. Those are kind of extra, but I didn't have to take extra on top of that. And I also, there's probably one more in there that I'm forgetting. But the other one that I took, I took an extra lithium orotate. I took an extra 10 milligrams because I'm wondering if it would be good to up the lithium a little bit, not for a super long time, just to help with the sleep. Since I've been doing this boosting dopamine thing and I'm going to stop doing it, this is my conclusion. The energy, well, it's a living conclusion. I'm, the energy, since it goes like this in my energetic biorhythm, I've never had to take dopamine boosters at this, this point in the cycle before, so I'm going to stop taking them even though I was planning to stop early May. It's looking like it's better to stop now, mid-April. I will continue with some of the light therapy, like the blue light a little bit, and maybe the sad light as well, um, if it doesn't bother my sleep. But maybe if I cut those out too, and maybe even caffeine, maybe I won't have to take as many sleep remedies because ideally I'd be able to go to sleep with a couple tryptophan and one melatonin, but I take two melatonin. So I am more energetic and I was boosting the energy and then I'm having to take all this stuff to sleep, which is pretty safe long-term, but it would be nice to not have to take as many because it costs money and things like that. But at least I know I have that option. So now what I'm planning is to not boost dopamine and I will again if my energy and ability to do things starts to wane and then when the energy builds up again if it does either naturally through not boosting dopamine just because the part the point of energy in the cycle building up or um, whether I decide to boost dopamine at some point and get a bit more energetic and I'm not able to sleep I might try the branch chain amino acid sedating strategy to try it out and see what it does so that's where I'm at with the sleep thing. And last night I slept, I think it was almost 10 hours, whereas the night before when I had trouble sleeping, I slept only like six and a half, and that's not enough. And I did feel kind of tired yesterday. And feeling kind of tired yesterday might have been partly what also helped me sleep. So there are a lot of factors, and I'll keep going with trying to figure out what is what. So, yeah. And I won't keep talking about this sleep thing per se, um, only in the context of if I boost myself up and I can't sleep or something. I'll talk about it in terms of hopefully not having to take as many sleep supplements at night. Maybe I have to at this point in the energy of my biorhythm because I just have more energy and it's harder for the brain to calm down and go to sleep. And at least I know that I can make myself go to sleep with supplements. I am taking two quetiapine at night, but in the past when I've had that sensation where I'm trying to fall asleep and all my body just goes and I wake up, I've had to take more psychopharmaceuticals to fall asleep, like trazodone or more quetiapine. So this is a success for me to know that my brain can be energetic and have trouble sleeping, and then I take more supplements 
And when I do that, my brain doesn't, my brain cells don't get all freaked out because they're being poisoned, which I think might play a part in the whole switch into psychosis is that there's this not sleeping and the brain is having trouble sleeping. And in order to make it sleep, we poison it. And then no wonder it freaks out and goes into all this freaky dream mixed with reality stuff. Because I can see I'm trying to fall asleep. I'm going into this dream fantasy land that's like a waking dream. And even that screenshot that I took when I was not sleeping, it showed that I was in deep sleep. So maybe I was breathing like I was in deep sleep, but I was awake. So it's like being in deep sleep, but awake, and then having this dream stuff, which makes it feel like this real thing, like this real reality. But then if I was to poison my brain, it might start to have this dream stuff that my brain seems to be going into because it's going into a deep sleep, but still awake, and then experiencing the dream realm because of that. But now it makes it go into the waking state but the brain cells are poisoned, so they get freaked out. And then that manifests as human behavior freaking out, and it manifests as the dream stuff being bad and scary, because the brain cells are scared. So I can see the lots of layers of that, and I think this experimenting with taking extra supplements to fall asleep, I think that's why I saw that magical land. I don't even, I don't even know if I talked about that. I can't remember when I saw that. I think I did talk about that because that was the first night I had trouble sleeping. My brain like saw this magical golden sparkly forest dream realm and I was like, holy wow, that's so beautiful. What the hell is that? I've never seen anything like that before in my life. But I think it's because I've been taking these supplements to help the brain grow and expand and explore this inner world of light and sound without poisoning it and freaking it out and saying it's wrong to go there. And it makes the brain cells feel safe to go there in a safe way. I don't know if this is true, but it just seems like it could be possibly true. And I'll end there so then I know where to put the screenshots in and I'll start again. So I found a piece of paper that I haven't talked about related to the Muse monitor. And some experiments I wanna do is put this thing on other people to compare their brain. One thing I'm cu curious about is this whole decibel reading because I saw a few recordings of the Muse monitor app, the decibel screen on YouTube, but the brains were in the 25 decibel to 50 decibel range across all the different frequencies, alpha, beta, delta, theta, gamma. And then there was a video about somebody listening to Mozart and they were sort of in this lower 30 range, which seems like calming, but I'm not sure. But then I was looking at my things and on the 12th, my brain was in the 50 to 105 decibel range. And when my brain was making sound on the 13th, it was in the 60, to 130 decibel range. And this is giving me an insight about when the brain switches from being a passive processor of sound that it's listening to, to actively co-creating sound with the universe. 
which is speaking from direct perception and insight. I don't know, though, like, the experiments that would need to be done to show this stuff is huge, and that's why I'm only really creating my own understanding and showing that it's fun to create one's own understanding, um, which is using one's own brain and eyes and body and being to be direct perception and testing things in reality instead of maybe sitting and passively reading scientific studies. This is more fun. The brain likes to perceive directly. And so I was looking at some of my screenshots from August 7th, which isn't a screen recording, but my brain was in the 80 to 123 decibel range. November 10th was 40 to 104. And there was another one from August 7th, 37 to 72. August 17th, 50 to 82. So I don't know where I was or what I was doing. Maybe I was outside. In August, I wasn't in crisis. November, I was. And then there was higher decibels there. And in August, I had just come back from four months or five months in California. So maybe, maybe it's good to have lower decibels. I don't know what is better. So I have to explore those things. And those are things that I want to look into. And I could put those screenshots in there, but maybe I won't bother because it's a lot of work. Um, and then I think I talked about how there's less bands now compared to something like October 26th. That's the equivalent of saying cut. Part two. So that's why I'm thinking, I have this book called Nutrition and Evolution and I've never read it, but it's something about the right nutri nutrients have to be present for the next evolution to take place. And I'm thinking that since we as human beings now have access to different supplements and vitamins and things, we can really drive the growth of our brain in new ways if we're giving it certain nutrients. So I think I'm like doing this balancing brain chemistry thing with Peter Smith, which is to help bipolar and take the control stick to tone down mania and speed up depression, speed up the brain when it's in depression. But I think I'm like inadvertently giving my brain all these extra nutrients that it can bathe in to grow in new ways. And then I was able to see this beautiful inner dimension as one thing. That's just one point, but I was also able to go to sleep without poisoning my brain more and then by not poisoning it it can continue to sort of grow and relax and do its thing that it's doing which is growing and evolving so I've created this word and I don't know where I put it here it is well there's like orthomolecular medicine which means right molecule and there's like orthomolecular naturopaths and orthomolecular psychiatrists and things which are rare the psychiatrists especially but I created a word 
and I'll condense it, but it's orthomolecular, orthomolecular perceptio neurogesturetical. Now what that means is that we need the right molecules for the brain cells to perceive clearly, not the eyes. The eyes are clouded with our own past images. The brain cell seeing is a totally different thing. So right molecule for the right perception of the brain, which then feeds right action. We can't act properly if we're not seeing the right things. And so the right molecule, orthomolecular, perceptio, perception, and then action is gesturetical or gesturetics. And we need sleep to stay in space-time material reality. Consciousness actually easily leaves the body when we're sleeping and things, but the brain has reached this point where it can go into deep sleep and access this dream realm of light and sort of um, remote view, astral travel, lucid dream, go into holotropic states, all these different things that I don't really know much about and I don't really have time to like spend years learning about lucid dreaming. Like I'm not interested in going into one thing. It's like mapping a territory and, and getting to the gate of a certain thing like, oh wow, it looks like I can remote view and that's what's been happening partly. And it kind of scares the shit out of the body when consciousness stretches like a telescope all around the world and all around the cosmos. When it comes back, like, it's sort of like, oh my god, that was scary. Um, and then it's, when it comes back and goes like, it's almost like it, like, pops up a bunch of this dream material into 3D reality when we wake up. So it's like it comes back, we're awake, but then there's this splash of dream material into 3D space-time and then we're having to like deal with it and our body's like what's that and freaking out aka psychosis um but not really but it turns into that if we keep poisoning our brain to punish it for traveling um and so yeah I think I'm learning a little bit about this whole orthomolecular perceptio neurogesturetical thing. Giving the brain the right molecules to evolve and also to sleep because when it starts to grow in these ways, it can have trouble sleeping. And so that was something I wasn't necessarily going to go into right now. Because, yeah, so the last thing about sleeping, if I'm in this deep sleep but I'm awake, my brain and my body kind of thinks it's sleeping so I actually can't switch into sleep because it's already sort of sleeping but awake. Maybe one day I'll be able to sleep while fully awake in this sort of inner dimension and the brain wake up rested, yet I had all this bonus time in this beautiful world of light which could end up feeling a little bit more real. And I think that's partly what scares consciousness and the body, is that if it starts to see that thing as more real, it might be like, get me out of this material world, it's a bunch of bullshit. So I don't wanna to get to that point because I do wanna live out my material existence for as long as fate, destiny, the cosmos, the family constellation, karma, uh, all those things that I mentioned in a previous video will allow.
And I think it was cool to see that light realm because I'm like, cool, that's there. But yeah, I do want to live this material existence and it's learning to navigate walking between the worlds, like walking between this inner world of light and sound that's beautiful with like holographic feet and quantum feet in consciousness that's non-local, non-linear, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, all those things. And then waking up and doing whatever one has to do. Number two, eat, sleep, be clean, all that stuff. So yeah, I talked about that. And so these last three days, I've had a lot of social time and working, and that's why I'm a little bit behind on talking to myself. I think two days in a row would be better, but I learned a lot in terms of the spire. So the spire stone. So I mentioned in my last video on the 13th how when I was at work I had a large percentage of tense breathing and then I was with a friend and it was mostly focused breathing. So that was really good to know. And then Saturday, see I don't even know what I did Saturday now, I forget. Oh, so I went to this meeting about this thing that I might be partly organizing or not. I haven't decided because I actually might decide to take off again, go to California, like last minute or something, depending on how things go this next week. Partly depending on how it goes when I work on Wednesday, like if I'm tense most of the time and the Wednesday after, I don't have any work really lined up after that, though I could line up more, so it's just not really good for me, perhaps. Especially in this time when stress is building up at the same time that I'm creating and doing a lot of things and have a lot of energy and executive functioning. There's still this fishnet dragging along behind me and picking up all the stress. Part of that I'm partly that I'm not seeing because I'm taking quetiapine, which is a tranquilizer, which blocks out the subtle things that would really bother me if I wasn't taking it. Bother me as a part of the consensus reality. So driving to that meeting, I I won't go over every little bit. I could take screenshots and go over every little bit, but I won't. But I was driving to the meeting and there was tension when I was stuck in traffic. So I think I'm getting better at driving and the tension is there mainly if I'm in like bumper to bumper traffic in the big city and not if I'm driving along, which is nice. And then when I was at the meeting, I did notice tense moments and it seemed to be more related to when someone was talking in a certain way and then so before I talk about the people aspect I want to say that what I've discovered is that I feel like it's not necessarily that people are making me tense it's that I feel and mirror their tense breathing so if that person is tense, I'm going to breathe tense because I'm mirroring them. I'm picking up their tension. So it is making me tense, but I think it's giving me more of a clue that certain people are in a state of tension and I'm picking up on that, which of course has an effect, but my conscious human 
experience of that person most of the time or persons whoever is enjoyment and glad to be there there was some feeling tension and maybe not as glad to be there listening but I feel like I was picking up on I wish I could help some individuals be a little more like loose and expressive with their manifestation because like I've taken this course called body awakening method with Carol Maureen Friesen and it was really good she trains light workers and her methodology that she learned was through the body meaning learning how to walk and stand and sit and talk and move one's hands and I didn't take all the training so I don't know that much but I think it did really help me to learn how we hold ourselves has an effect so what I'm saying is it seems that what I learned a little bit from experiencing tension around a certain individual was that the energy in that person is so high, like their consciousness and their thinking and their processing was probably like way higher than mine or way faster than mine. So they're in like an, a heightened energetic state. And if I'm in a lower state and other people around them are in a lower state, they're going to manifest as being kind of warped and kind of and like talking fast and all that. To them, it seems normal, and to them, they might actually be like this, like, whoa. But we project and experience them as different and kind of too fast because of how we're slower. It's actually something I don't think I've talked a little bit about yet, or talked about a bit, talked about yet. Here I am talking fast and not being able to talk. I think I stumble on my words more when I get about to talk to some about something that I haven't talked about before, or it's very new. Like, maybe it's never been spoken. If it's stuff that has been spoken a lot, the brain cells are really good at allowing it to come out of the mouth. But I remember last year when I was talking about new insights, I would fumble on my words all the time. This time, I don't think I'm gonna sit and edit that out. That's what I did a lot of editing out of last year and the year before, or probably the year before mostly because I have a completely new insight that I sort of channeled from nowhere. I think it's sort of when David Bohm says to David Suzuki that we need a new source of information. I think this is the new source channeled through brain, the brain, but when we say this new information, since it hasn't been said by a million people and thought by a million people over a million days and a million brains, it's, it comes out more fumbly. So I'll leave the fumble, fumble in. We'll, and what I'm trying to say is that I think what Einstein partly discovered, and I'm not pretending to know what he knows and anything like that. I like to take the themes and relate it to my experience, but not get into the details because that would take too long. And the thing is when the brain is clear, we can understand things in a flash, like infinitely more than we could ever enunciate to another person. So what I'm able to say about this is a very small amount that I feel I understand. Um, and then that doesn't even encapsulate the whole possible understanding if I understood all of what Einstein, Einstein said. But anyway, I think the whole relativity theory partly applies to consciousness. So if my consciousness is going at a faster speed, but then another person is going even faster, 
they're going to manifest in their body in physical form moving faster and talking faster because their brain their consciousness is actually traveling faster <clears throat> so there's a relativity and then mine's slower so in order for us to match and actually meet they're going to have to appear as faster and going like talking faster and moving faster and almost like kind of warped by the energy in terms of like it's like so much energy going through that one is kind of like more so than being able to move fluidly but I feel that perhaps by learning to move fluidly that will give some more mobility to the neurons and the nervous systems and build those neural pathways so when the energy comes in we can still move fluidly but if we don't like work on that every time the energy comes in we're gonna look like and like no offense to anyone I'm just wondering about this and I'm curious about it and maybe I would love to be in a state where I was manifesting as almost fried because I'd be like so close to reality to actuality and the light realm but I don't want my body to be fried by it at the same time so I think I was actually feeling some like I don't know if I can be around that high of an energy it feels tense and I also didn't fully enjoy but I think with more time I would probably get used to it because I'm saying this and it sounds like a judgment but I also realize that that person is probably in like this really really high state and it's so hard to be out and around other people and communicate when one's brain is like so so high in consciousness so I didn't see this person as manifesting in tense ways in my experience and more extreme movements as like while this person is less than I saw them as whoa they are just so plugged in that it's it's hard you know it's hard to take all that energy it's like it's hard to take that energy um so it was a learning for me and I'm always learning and then so that thing is something that conflicts with possibly going to California so that's where I'm choosing but that's why the device was helpful because I'm like well if this is going to bring a lot of tension and I'm not sure if I can receive all this energy that you know maybe it's not bad it, then maybe I want to participate in that less and then I'm pretty sure if I go to California the humans I'm around down there don't make me feel like there's too much coming at me um, and it could be too much coming at me because that person is in a really high energy and also for me I have a lot of energy coming at me from the universe so to have a lot coming from one particular person is a lot and it could have just been the initial experience like get there is something about getting to know people I was getting to know a person in terms of what this fire was telling me but it's not the ultimate authority it's only one tool because I really did enjoy the meeting there were a bunch of people there um, I felt I could communicate it was good meeting and I'm not I feel like I'm picking on people but 
the thing is, throughout my life, I've always kind of noticed how people carry themselves. So sometimes I've wanted to take more of that body awakening method training because it's it's a safe space to like call people out on the way they're holding themselves. Like Carol's like, don't stand like that. This, that, what? You're doing this, you're doing that, brah. No, no. And um, I could see myself kind of doing that even more so than um, the constellation family stuff, family constellation, because of what I just said. So I'm going to write that down to myself, but I'm not even sure if that's the exact one. Um, the whole like calling people out on how they're holding themselves. Um, it could be good because I'd rather call people out on how they're holding their body than how they are in their psychology. And then the psycho the, the physiology, it, it affects the psychology and going through the body. And that's kind of what I'm learning with these experiments that I'm doing is that the physiology is so powerful like taking the nutrients and then changing the experience of trying to fall asleep when I'm having trouble sleeping. And then also experiencing how, this was the other thing, uh, I hung out with another friend and experienced mostly tense breathing. And I, again, think I was mirroring the tense breathing of another person, but I was really enjoying that person's company a lot. Like it was really good dialogue, synchronistic, fun, laughter, some seriousness, some inquiring into possible problems and things. And and it was like th almost three hours and I had a really good time, but there was like 20 minutes or more of tense breathing and no calm and maybe two minutes of focus. So kind of the same ratio as doing work, but I was really enjoying myself at work and I was enjoying myself with this person. The other person was a little bit too much I thought just on that occasion first meeting maybe and there was a little bit of tense breathing not like 20 minutes worth like maybe 10 that correlated more when that was that person was speaking so that's how how I saw that so I'm wondering about this whole like how I consciously humanly experience things versus the physiology of my breathing and that's when I realized, wow, it's probably more other people's tension than my own because I feel okay up here and I did when working with that friend, yet the people I was around probably had tense breathing for sure. So I'm going to pick up on it. But I think by being there and picking up on it and being able to enjoy myself, maybe there's some healing for me and everyone in that. I don't know. So I'm not saying that tense breathing is bad. It's just a certain physiological characteristic or correlation to the moment. It's not a cause. It's not, oh, this person is causing me to breathe tense. There's some kind of correlation there. I'm mirroring them, which could be a form of empathy. So like if I was breathing calm and this person is tense, that could almost be this incoherent untruth. So I don't want to say that anybody is anything is just interesting and then so one person like 20 minutes focus breathing another person 10 minutes tense another person 10 minutes or 20 minutes tense and then another person like nothing 
three hours of mostly nothing like same kind of time period but like the spire doesn't track everything as calm focus or tense or active there's some time that's just normal breathing so like that person was just normal and that made sense to me because I just sort of feel like nothing around that person in a good way like I don't have to be this or that or prove anything or do anything special but I can do something special if I want and not be attached to it it's just very amazing and and that person's like helped me so much in my life so I don't want to get into personal stuff that much I'm just saying that the spire can do this like who what where when and the who part of what causes some tense breathing and it's not like, oh, if somebody makes me breathe tense, I never want to be around them. It's almost cool to know that maybe next time we can talk about something else and maybe it's something different. Or maybe I can do some calm stuff before and bring a calm energy and that makes another person feel calm. So it gives me more tools to learn how I can be in myself. It's all personal responsibility. Nothing is anyone else's fault at all and it, it's going to help me learn more how to be and I did last thing I think about this whole breathing thing and I could show screenshots and all that but it just gets too messy and complicated I showed some screenshots before and um, I had a birthday dinner and I was focused breathing a bit during the first couple hours and then at a certain point, I started having all this tense breathing and it correlated with some people leaving. So I don't know if some people, sort of their morphogenetic fields like brought the energy that was more calm and, and everything. And then when they left, there was more tension left there. I don't know. I don't know if I was picking up on others' tension or if I think like calm people left and more tense people remained. I don't know. And then so I was picking up on the tension or I just felt tense because some people left. I don't know. But the other thing that could have caused some of the tense breathing was I got this baseball glove that I asked for and I didn't really clue into the whole like leather aspect. And I'm vegetarian. I don't like to buy a lot of leather, even though I wear a leather belt every day because I've had it for years, got it second hand. It doesn't break like it's indestructible. Instead of like buying all these plastic belts and having to replace them every month or two. So, and I'm sure there are belts that work that are vegan. I just haven't gotten there yet. So I felt bad. And that could have been part of the tension. Like, oh, I got this big leather glove. But then somebody else got one too. And then we were playing catch yesterday. And it was kind of fun. And I played catch before and the ball hits my hand. It really hurts. So my thing lately is get a good piece of equipment and then I won't stop doing a certain activity because I think, well, I don't like it because catching the ball hurts my hand. But having this really big piece of, or good piece of equipment, it was fun. So I'm likely to do it more. So I feel more settled with this leather glove. I'm sorry to the cows. I will have this for the rest of my life and... If I get a new car that the trunk doesn't leak, I'll keep it with me and play catch with everyone that I can. And it goes with my goal of being more active. I got my tennis racket, I got my glove, and I got a badminton racket for my birthday. 
So all of these things require somebody else. Tennis, catch, badminton. So that's good because it'll also increase social activity. And one of my friends that I met up with on the weekend likes badminton. I found out. I'm like, I just got a racket. We can go play. So then going from less talking about stuff to playing and having fun and doing active stuff. And action like that, you know, builds the neurons, it's epigesteretics, it's changing the epigesteretic matrix of of a person and their possibility. So so that was cool. And I hope with the stuff that I described about the spire and people that I'm making it clear that it's not like, oh, this person is tense or makes me tense. I don't see it that way. It's it's a clue also when having really deep conversation and people are a little bit distressed and it's a distressing thing to like a reminder to breathe like I don't have to breathe tense just like I've learned how to breathe more when driving I haven't had as many tension notifications anymore it just spontaneously has happened it's not like I'm thinking oh I have to breathe deep I have to remember it's biofeedback so I think in the same way by knowing who creates what kind of breathing, I can go in with a different breathing intention. And then if I have a different breathing intention and I'm able to breathe differently, that will be mirrored to the other person and they'll pick up on it subconsciously and that will help them without even having to do anything except breathe differently. Without even having to think about breathing differently, just having an awareness that my breathing was a certain way last time. And then the other thing too is next time with different people, we might be walking. It's been raining. So I would have active breathing and the other person would too. And we'd be mirroring each other that way and enjoying the outdoors and nature and more active stuff. So instead of sitting there having a conversation for three hours, there'll be three hours of activity with less tense breathing. So it just shows also too with certain people like next time let's do something active so this is all good information and it also it gives me more empathy for people where I pick up this tense breathing where maybe I'm mirroring some of their tension and it's not like people shouldn't have tension god rightly so people who live life everyone has this tension and some more than others with what they've been through and and I won't go into any details of that of course but it makes sense for God's sakes. It's not a judgment. It's It could actually be helpful to know this person's more tense or whatever. And then be like, hey, let's go do something fun. Not sit around and have a tense conversation. Maybe have a bit of a tense conversation while doing something fun. So yeah, like I said, all good information. No judgment at all even though it probably sounds like that. I don't want it to sound like that though, even with like people being there and then some leaving and la-di-da. It'll all help me in the long run. And physiology is more truthful. So the tension is more truthful than the conscious experience. But at the same time, by knowing that truth, one can act differently. And I also know that I have a low stress tolerance. So if I'm going along through this time period, over time, I'm building up more and more stress. 
the more and more this tense breathing goes on. And by knowing that I had tense breathing in certain scenarios, I can go home and do more calming stuff or more active stuff. So it's all empowering. And like I said, my conscious experience over these last three days of working and having all this social time was like 99% enjoying being present, really there in conversation, in connection. So whether or not this breathing thing tells me I'm tense or not, it doesn't matter because I'm living life, communicating, enjoying, being out there. And it's great. And I have a lot more to talk about. I'll end that part there for now. So no tense breathing in all that video making so far. I did get an email that was a little bit stressful. Not bad or anything, but I just felt the stress and I felt the sound in my brain going like So I put on the Muse monitor app with the Muse headband again and my temporal lobes were going and so was my my AF9 point or AF8, I can't remember. Here's the video. And then compare that to this morning or a couple hours ago when I wasn't feeling as much distress in my brain. So there's so many different factors. There's no causation, just correlation and finding the different correlations. The stress was related to something that I'm participating in, but I'm not sure if I want to. So the sign of stress in my brain that's picked up on the Muse monitor, but not the spire. See, I think the Muse monitor picks up more like thinking stuff. Whereas the spire is more like situational, like with people, not always, I don't know, but the tense breathing is sometimes, I'm not sure. All I know is that I'm feeling this brain stuff all of a sudden. Maybe my brain's getting tired and maybe I'll end up boosting dopamine because my brain gets tired. I don't know if that's good or not. Maybe my brain will withdraw a little bit from the dopamine boosters. I was thinking that. I was wondering if my brain will kind of be like asking for it. Like, oh, I want that boost. We'll see. But I did have some focused breathing while doing this talking to myself. I didn't check to see if there was any calm breathing, but that would be good to check too. I'm talking a little quieter because I don't have absolute sound privacy. And yeah, but the things that I do have on my side is astrology. And I've been wanting to talk about this, but I haven't yet. And I've made a few notes about different astrology stuff. And I'll just go through it quickly because what I learned from some of my investigations is that things that are part of me astrologically are Aries, of course, and then Libra is the opposite sign of Aries, and then planet Saturn was in Libra, my opposite sign when I was born, and then it returned to Libra when I had my first crisis that landed me in the hospital, in the psych ward. 
So there's something with Saturn, there's something with Libra, and then that Saturn, the whole cycle around the sun is like 29 years, and that was the age I was when I had the crisis. So it was like the return of Saturn. So I'm kind of tracking Saturn, the sun, the moon, Libra, Aries, Mercury, you know, the whole Mercury retrograde thing. And um, yesterday morning sometime was Mercury direct, whatever that means. And then on April 17th, which is tomorrow at 9.47 p.m., Saturn goes into retrograde. And I'm not sure how long that is, but it's interesting. And also before that, on March 20th, the sun arrived in Aries and Venus was in Aries and then the sun was in Aries on March 20th. So the sun, the sun is in Aries and it's probably leaving Aries now too. I think it's going into Venus actually. No, sorry, that's not right. Afterwards it must go to Taurus. So the sun is leaving Aries pretty soon. Saturn's in retrograde. And then on um, March 22nd was Mercury retrograde. That's old as well. March 31st, Venus enters Taurus. So that was what I was going to say about Venus. Was Venus was just in Aries. And then it went into Taurus. And then... March 31st, this is old, full moon in Libra, which is my opposite sign. And then April 15th, which was yesterday, there was a new moon in Aries. So, you know, a lot of activity in Libra, Aries. It was full moon in Libra, then new moon in Aries. And then April 17th, tomorrow, Chiron enters Aries. And Chiron is something. I'll have to look that up. And so then Saturn retrograde. So tomorrow is Chiron enters Aries at 4.09 in the morning. And then Saturn retrograde at 9.57 p.m. And tomorrow I'm donating blood. So I think that is a good day astrologically, energetically, for my blood to have good energy to go to other people. And then... After, so then getting back into the present moment again, May 27th, Saturn Quincunx True Node. And I wrote something down about that, but basically tracking Saturn and the moon relationship. And then that's at 12.51 a.m. And then June 18th at 9.40 a.m. Saturn um, Quincunx True Node again. And this May 27th to June 18th is sort of like the period before my next crisis, like the two weeks leading up to it, because I'm predicting it'll be mid-June. But I'm wondering if it'll be June 18th when Saturn hits the true node again. So it's like this two weeks before, or two weeks or so before the real crisis hits. So, wondering if it'll hit June 18th, and wondering if I can predict this a little bit based on astrology and just sharing that for the fun of it. 
and on July 20th, Saturn quintile Neptune, and I don't know what that means, but then September 3rd, Jupiter semi-square Saturn, again, Saturn stuff, September 6th, Saturn direct, September 20th, Saturn quintile Neptune again. So I was noticing, and I don't know anything about this, but July 20th, Saturn, Quintile, Neptune, and Ju September 20th, Saturn, Quintile, Neptune again. So I think it's like it hits one side of Neptune and then the other. But July, August, September, that's like two months. So I think that's going to be like the hard crisis time. Because if it hits June 18th, J June 18th and then to July 20th, that's one month. And July 20th to September to 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 August September that's so that's three months so that's the three month period it's like you know Saturn Quinn's Coons true node May 27th and again June 18th and then that's the crisis time and then there's a month until Saturn quintile Neptune and then two more months until it quintiles Neptune again and then I'm thinking by September 20th that's when I'll start to come out of it. So I should write those dates in my calendar to see if those sort of predictions come true. And I will do that. And then on October 7th, Saturn Quincunx True Node again for the third time. And then December 27th, Jupiter Semi Sextile True Node. So I don't know what those things mean. But I wrote them down and I put all those events in my calendar just to see if there's any kind of correlation. Again, not causation, correlation. And I'll put those three dates in. And I'll look up those few bits about those explanations related to this. Alright, so very quickly, sort of, stuff about astrology that I know nothing about. Saturn in Libra in its exaltation, the planet is favorably placed in the opposite sign of its fall. Libra and Aries are opposite signs. September 21st, 1980 and November 29th to November 29th, 1982. And I was born in that time period. Saturn in Libra in its, ex in its exaltation, the planet is favorably placed, blah, blah, blah. Exact same bit, but July 21st. 2010 to October 5th, 2012. Well, I had an initiation into the light on March 5th, 2011. So that's between that time period there. I ended up in the hospital on May 15th, 2011. Also in that time period. So it was like this rebirth of Saturn back into Libra. So it kind of makes sense why that happened in that time period. And Saturn... I think I talked a little bit about this before, but I'll talk about it again, how I googled 8.5 month cycle and I mostly got stuff about about the, the birth cycle, but it also came up with Saturn and it says, and I don't know what this sentence means, it was on a website of this woman, astrostyle.com backslash Saturn slash return and this one sentence says Saturn will then pass back over by direct motion the degree at which its 
SRX on November 9th, 2015. Support degrees, 56 Sagittarius, fulfilling its 8.5 month cycle of conception, gestation, and birthing phase. So I haven't read any other reference to this most important sentence, fulfilling its eight and a half month cycle of conception, gestation, and birthing phase related to Saturn. So, so Saturn isn't only related to this 29 year cycle of Saturn being in Libra when I was born and also when I was reborn in 2011, but also this whole eight and a half month cycle thing that I experience from crisis, struggle, back into the energy, energy peaking at eight and a half months. And then it's the calm before the storm is what seems to happen. Because I took a screenshot of my muse brain um, on October 2nd. I think I put it in a previous video here, but um, I'll probably put it in here again. And my brain cells, my brain um, microvolts were very calm. And then, you know, later in the month when I was fully in the crisis, October 29th and stuff, they were just going zzzz. So it's like the calm before the storm, more relating this to the weather. And, um, so this website also said the period between the retrograde station and the full cycle back to back to its passing over that degree is about 8.5 months, a gestation cycle deeply embedded in the psyche as a insemination, gestation and birth cycle. So I won't read all of this. But another part says, give in, give it up, and give all to the higher power within you. And you will feel the seed with <coughs> within as it matures over the 8.5 month cycle. So this really resonated with me because it seems there is this 8.5 month cycle related to this, the Saturn as well as human birth. But this article that I found here, it is quite poignant. I won't read it off because I don't want to be like reading other people's words. I did that a little bit before and I want to be careful. And I don't like to read too many of other people's words because I have so many of the words of the universe coming at me that that is hard enough as it is to make sense of all of it and I'm at a place now I feel like a lot can come at me from the universe and I can make sense of it and I can kind of keep up with it for the most part even though I'm behind right now if I read other people's words that only makes it way more to deal with and that was something I had an insight about <coughs> and I want to talk about a bunch of the insights I've been having lately I'm reconnected with insight for the time being until my brain implodes at some point. And I used to talk about insights. So I'm going to go back and just sort of talk about one sound bite at a time, not really tying them all together. That's what I have a hard time doing. They come to me in sound bites. Um, 
So, but one thing I had an insight about was I watched a documentary called Hearing Voices, not Healing Voices, but Hearing Voices. It was produced by Thomas Metzinger's wife, Metzinger. And uh, it's a really great documentary. And they were talking about how the voices probably come from the people themselves because something about they did a study that a person's jaw is moving when the voices are happening. But I realized that it's more related to, in my view, how we have these thoughts in our head and usually we're speaking from that repertoire of thoughts. But there's another repertoire of speaking the voice of the universe. But when we're, when we haven't, and the universe speaks to me all the time and I write down these insights, but I could also say them out loud right at that time and my jaw would indeed be moving. But I choose to write them down. My jaw might flinch and move when I hear this voice of the universe telling me some kind of insight, like the insight I'm writing or I'm talking about right now um, came to me. But I feel like a person's brain who's hearing voices is connected to that other source of a voice of saying something, but it's sort of been it's been hijacked by the ego, which turns it all into negative bullshit, which is what it does even with what we call normal conscious experience. So then when it hijacks this voice of the universe process, trying to give us insight to write down or share with other people, it just turns into more crap about you or you suck. And since that connection and that level of connecting with insight is of like a higher energy and it's more clear, it just makes the ego stuff more energy, more clear, and more awful. It's it's not like this vibration of awfulness that we're kind of used to. It's even more intense. And like, it takes over and it's hard to function. The same thing happens with insight that is not hijacked by the ego. And there's like this information coming that seems kind of insightful. From somewhere, out of nowhere, it's new. I didn't think of it myself. It can be information overload too, and there can be too much of it. I, If it really connected and wanted me to write a lot of stuff down, I could fill up a notebook in a matter of hours with different things that are completely new. They're not from this bank of yada, 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 which when I'm doing well, my brain doesn't have a bank of yada, yada, yada. I don't have inner chatter. And how do you prove that? I don't know. doesn't matter. I don't care. But how do you prove that? I don't know. And it's not a matter of proof. It's, I don't hear anything. And one of the things I was watching this documentary called The Abundance Factor. And it was a pretty good documentary. A lot of the same stuff. But they gave the example of they're talking about the brain and how a lot of times when we're driving, we'll go, we'll go for like half an hour or 10 minutes or whatever and think, how did I get here? I don't remember driving from A to B, but obviously I did. I never have that sensation. I never think, oh wait, where was I? Now I'm back in the car and I'm, I'm kilometers further along. Like I see every instance of driving and I never feel like, oh, my brain was somewhere else. When I'm awake, I'm here. But then there's these insights. The other thing that was fascinating about this documentary, and I 
don't even want to look this up, but it talks about this disorder and they had a specific name for it and I don't want to look up the name, but you can if you want, but I wouldn't really recommend it. And they showed clips of people enacting this disorder where people literally kill themselves in their sleep, like sleepwalk and then kill themselves. And it showed a clip of somebody like walking out a balcony and then sliding over the edge and then dropping down and like it was on a security camera or something and dying. And I'm like, whoa, that hits too close to home because, you know, I don't have that, but I have the experience of waking up and feeling like I might harm myself and I'm fully awake and aware of it, but there's this element compelling me to do it and it feels like it's the same element that compels someone to do it but they're just sleeping through it unfortunately and the thing is the documentary producer I can't remember his name he experienced that and he like walked off a second floor balcony in his sleep and just woke up in a hospital with the things beeping away and I was like whoa that story is what got me to watch the documentary I'm like that is incredibly intense but he didn't have a single injury. So then I was thinking, oh, I kind of get what that's about. Even though this crappy stuff is hard, like this whole sense that I have sometimes, or this sensation of jumping out of bed, my heart pounding, feeling like I'm going to harm myself, it wakes me up. So there's something in the crap that is trying to wake us up. And, you know, even the person who sleepwalks and ends their life, it's, I don't know, maybe they go into the light realm that I saw. I don't want to say stuff like that, but um, that could be comforting. And it was kind of comforting to see that dimension, but I almost don't want that kind of comfort. I want to be here. But, you know, that guy who experienced that jumped off a balcony in his sleep walked off a balcony and woke up in a hospital but ended up walking out of the hospital the next day with no injuries that woke him up and then he went on to create this great documentary that has a lot of great messages in it and it's a documentary about living your dreams and things like that so I wasn't gonna watch it I got it in my email box for some reason but then I watched it I'm like whoa yeah I was supposed to watch this just to learn about that weird Disorder, because what I saw as kind of an insight is even though thought, the realm of thought is awful and scary, there is a part of it that is trying to wake us up, even with the scary things that it does. <coughs> um... So, I would love to read this astrology article again, really good, and then I looked at the astrologer, and she's very expensive, I think she's a really good astrologer, so I wouldn't be able to afford that, but, and, <coughs> I think, I think it was that page or a different page, Cafe Astrology. No, I think it was that same page. It says, 
Every 27 to 29 years, Saturn returns, blah, blah. Your cosmic rite of passage. What do you want to be when you grow up and when you're even ready to take on such a momentous role? Every 29 and a half years, approximately, you'll get the nudge you need to advance into a new stage of adulthood in astrology. We call this the Saturn return. So that's exactly when I had my awakening experience that was labeled mental illness. And I'm still walking between those paradigms. It was the Saturn return, man. And um, it returns to the zodiac in which you were born. Saturn return, which can happen between 27 and 30, is a bit like a cosmic bar mitzvah. Um, a rite of passage is passage welcoming you into a more mature role here on Earth. Blah, blah, blah. And it goes on. So it's interesting to research this kind of stuff. It says you'll come to face, face to face with your own blocks and be forced to push through them. All the mistakes you made in the nearly three decades up to this seem to crystallize. Rather than repeating them on autopilot, you have three, you have a chance to turn lemons into lemonade. And if you refuse to heed those lessons, Saturn will bring a drill sergeant style smackdown. Indeed, the Saturn return starts off feeling a bit like boot camp for a lot of people. Yeah, so I think that was on astrostyle.com backslash Saturn dash return. And the one before, talking about the Saturn retrograde, I think that was on Aaron Sullivan, E-R-I-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N.com. In a 2015 newsletter related to Aries, just to give the references. And then I wrote down all those things that I just shared, um, and I got that off of a wiki article or something. And So a bit on the quincunx, just a little blurb says that, but often with a shift of perspective involving the unexpected or perhaps surprising or previously unknown or an opportunity for creativity, resourcefulness, and humor. So that, that is May 27th with Saturn, and then June 18th again. So I think that period will be will be good, um, but then it will totally tank, unfortunately. Um, people might think by saying that, that's gonna create that, but last time I was saying it's not gonna tank, and it tanked anyway. So getting with the whole material reality paradigm that it's gonna all tank. And
Then I talked a little bit about the true note of the moon, but I didn't quite get uh, And then in terms of the true node, there's something about what do they mean? In a karmic sense, the moon's nodes represent lessons to be learned in this earthly incarnation. These lessons almost always have to do with the way we connect with others. That's why the true nodes are associated with patterns of relating and the wisdom to be found within them is often the key to recognizing and healing patterns of relating which stand in the way of our happiness. So that resonates. Um... And the thing is, it's Saturn quincunx, true node. So I talked about quincunx, and then here I'm talking about true node. So I'm going to study that a bit related to those events coming up. And... And I wrote something about North Node and Aries South in Libra. I don't know if that is related to this year, though. So I won't go into that now. And then there's all those dates. Oh, and then Chiron is a comet with unique and erratic orbit. Chiron is symbolized by the wounded healer. It represents our deepest wound and our effects Efforts to heal the wound. Chiron was named after the centaur in Greek mythology, who was a healer and a teacher who ironically could not heal himself. So that's tomorrow. That is April 17th. Chiron enters Aries. So Aries is what is my sign. And Chiron, the wounded healer, is entering my sign. So I think it is a good sign <laughs> that I'm donating blood to hopefully heal other people, even though perhaps I am a bit of a wounded healer who has trouble healing myself, and I put in all these efforts and talk to myself in order to try to heal myself. Um, and I do have this mark of a healer in or in palm reading. I don't know if you can see it. Maybe I'll take a picture, but it's this, this like thing like this here, and I have this palm palmistry card, and it shows that mark of a healer. So maybe I'll put that in if I can find that card. Probably can't find the card, but I can probably find that somewhere else. So this is a long video, and I'm gonna have to edit it because I've been coughing, and I've talked about a few things that I need to put in there. And I think I've talked about most of the astrology stuff. And again, it's not something that I'm going to go super deep into. I'm interested in so many things and there's not enough time to go super, super deep into it. But by knowing a little bit of all these things or having a bit of understanding, it helps me understand more. So rather than specializing... By generalizing, then when something else comes up, I kind of see how it relates. And my brain can sort of 
build this unconscious knowledge or subconscious knowledge base without trying to memorize anything. It makes connections on its own without me having to try. And my brains always kind of work like that. So I think even in university, I didn't have to study much because if I could remember one thing, I could remember something else that was similar. So tests, especially longer ones, were easier for me. And yeah, that's pretty much all the astrology stuff and I probably won't talk about it too much again except on those particular days. Maybe I'll mention it a bit tomorrow if anything happens with this Chiron that happens at 4.09 a.m. Could be interesting. So that's it for astrology and I'll go on to something else. So now, since I caught up on some of those experiments, I'm gonna go into some of these insights, these little downloads in consciousness that I don't really know where they come from. They're a little bit disjointed, but they're related and to me they all build context. So I did this last year and the year before, especially the year before quite a lot, but I haven't really done it since. I've been talking about more practical stuff, so I'll see how this feels because I have a bunch of insights here in my notepad. And then I have a bunch of stuff under practical bipolar that is now kind of mixed in with insight stuff that I was planning on maybe blogging about, but I think saying it out loud is more powerful and then maybe that way too I can find the bits that I do actually want to blog about and then just talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. And then I was doing a bit of a spark thing with my brain twin and made some notes of that process. But he's a little bit less sparked now, so I also made some notes about the less sparkness, which I could go into um, at some point, because it's kind of fascinating, and um, sparking and the unspark. So there's that, and then I've been taking other notes, so I'm sort of building up with all these notes that if I don't talk about them with myself on video and translate them into that, I'll probably never look at it again. And some of that, what I've written down, I'm like, oh, I gotta get back to this. But I think talking about them is a good way to find the bits that I need to look into further, the bits that I just wanted to talk about, da-da-da, all that. And then I had to check the mail later and I might've got my supplements. So I'm gonna have to do a bunch of crisis planning videos so I'll do some insights when I can, and then, and then after that, do the other stuff that I have to do mixed in there. So the insights aren't really the priority this time. Um, they're more, if I can get to them, I can get to them. Whereas last time it was more about for last couple of years, it was more about the insights and then not really getting some practical aspects in place that I didn't know about anyway. And I just took 4,000 milligrams of taurine to 
keep with the calmness and I am sort of keeping my brain on a more calm level. And so I wrote down that I'm kind of designing a low stress lifestyle for acquired, highly sensitive personhood. And this is something I talked about with myself at some point a long time ago. So I'm okay talking about stuff I already talked about as long as it's building something new. So now that I have this spire, it's helping me sort of see ways that I can build in a low stress lifestyle. And when they come out with their spire health tag, it also measures heart rate variability and sleep. I'm gonna have more data on that as well. So this is helping me with that. And I also made a note of the, about the calm before the storm because of how I looked at my old Muse monitor screenshots and my brain was really calm right before I had a major crisis and then it really wasn't calm. So likening this whole thing more to weather that we can't control but we can prepare for and be ready for different scenarios just like we have summer clothes and winter clothes and winter boots and rain boots and different equipment so we can survive the weather. That's one of the things we had to do in evolution was survive weather. So now it's surviving weather and consciousness and weathering consciousness and weathering feeling like a separate entity versus like everything. It's a little bit disorienting. And also learning how to sleep. Um, the brain is really awake as energy rises and it makes it harder for it to go to sleep. It could be too, this is where some things sound kind of strange, but when a brain starts to wake up, it gets really excited because it probably has a sense that it's a rare thing. So that might cause a tendency for the brain to want to be awake even more because it knows it has a lot of work to do. And so it's hard to go to sleep um, because it's not like, well, I'm just gonna wake up and be watching Netflix and TV all day tomorrow. It's like, no, I got a lot of work to do. So that could also be another reason why it has a tendency to stay awake. And then I wrote down this idea about lived experiments. So people with mental health diagnoses are often called people with lived experience, but I'm turning it into living experiments, like experimenting on my own, with my own life, with what works for me. Not only with like writing out plans and having ideas about what to do, but also with certain biofeedback devices, like the Muse monitor app with the Muse headband, the Muse app, the Spire Stone, Spire app, coherence breathing with a heart rate monitor, chest strap, strap or some other device, um, and things like that. And I also wrote down that I think the focus setting of the Spire app sort of tells me what I should be doing more of or because the thing I noticed when I'm at home working and doing my own research and my experiments and googling and looking up different things and sending things to other people I don't have any tense breathing doing like the work I'm doing but when I'm at work then I have all this tense breathing so it's like okay do more of this stuff that really makes you focus it's like telling me, okay, this is making your breathing focused. This is what you can focus on. So do this. Do more of this. And I think that could be true. 
And then the tense is sort of like, do less of this or figure out a different strategy for this. And also, I kind of realized in this whole process of going to the family constellation meetup, and then also what I said in a previous video today about safe space for saying what I see. So I was saying how I kind of notice when people hold themselves in funny ways that eventually are going to lead to pain and distortion of the body. And I always have. Not that I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect. There's a lot I can change too. I haven't taken that training. But it's almost like having a safe container and a safe space for saying what I see. Like, don't stand like that. Do this, blah, blah, blah. So I feel like I might be able to create something that is a safe space for saying what I see. But at the same time, this whole process that I've been using which is dialogue or guyavlog or dialogue or self-dialogue, whatever I've called it along the way, is a safe space for saying what I see. And it's not really a space, but it's a safe container for saying what I see and I can say what I see and my iPhone doesn't talk back. One day it might, but not right now. One day I might be able to say things and the iPhone will be like, no, that's not true. I'm tapping into the universal unconscious and it says no. But maybe it'll be able to tap into that too and have a conversation. But now I can see that I'm sort of creating safe space for me to say what I see. And it'd be cool to do that with other people. And going to that family constellation meetup, kind of gave me permission to explore that notion because of how the facilitator had found something where she is safe to say what she sees. It might be right or it might be wrong, but the people acting and reacting and her checking in with them is the biofeedback. It's like, well, I said this. I just blurted it out. How does that resonate with you? Not at all. Well, blurt, what is? It? what about this? You know, it's like trial and error. But... You know, as soon as we say something, it's like our hypothesis, right away, because we said it, it becomes a theory. It's like a conclusion that we have to stick to. Instead of each time we say something, it's just a hypothesis. It might only be valid for the time period that we're speaking it out, and then it's done. It's not even relevant. But we build everything based on that. So we're afraid to speak as this vulnerability we or we feel safer speaking from memory banks of old sentences and old ways of interacting. So that's kind of fascinating for me. And today or yesterday, I learned about this woman named Chaya Grossberg, or Grossberg maybe. And she's a writer, blogger on Madden America, and she has her own deal where she helps people come off psych drugs. I don't know if that resonates with something that I want to do. Maybe. But she has a blog entry on Madden America. 10 things I've learned in 5 years consulting with people coming off psych drugs. And it's a really cool article. And also she had another one. 84 things I could do once I got off psych drugs. And... Both really good articles. I'm going to read them again. And I like how she sort of said, don't worry about people suing you 
I don't know. Because I worry about that, try and help people, and then they just get all mad. Not that I have anything anyway, but... Um, yeah, so I like that. That was a good discovery. I'm going to look into her more. She even mentioned that she might, or she's creating a course to help people learn to do the same because she said more people are needed to do the same. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to do her course or not, but I don't know if I'm ready to really settle down and specialize in anything at the moment because I'm still running so many experiments. And I think that based on my own experiments that I'm doing, I might be able to come up with some kind of methodology where people don't have to like learn something to like pattern themselves with not that those other things I've talked about today are doing that but just it's a way of exploring approaching life as an exploration and I'm hoping one day I can explore and be doing all these wonderful fabulous things and not sitting around stuffing my face with vitamins and hoping that I breathe calm um, I'm sure there's a lot more exciting things to do in life, but I do need to get the whole sleep thing under control with these supplements as opposed to toxic tranquilizers and um, maybe one day come off the 50 milligrams of quetiapine, but I'm not really attached to that, especially with what happened seeing that magical land the other day and also... Just seeing how fast my brain grows back, like a little bit of toxic quetiapine can't do anything really harmful in the long run. Especially if I don't believe it. Because I've seen how fast it comes back and how even right now being on it, and I've been on it for months and I've never done that before, I'm still feeling just as energetic as I have before without taking it daily. So... Nothing can really stop the energy of consciousness and consciousness evolution. This is my last video of the day. And in my last video, I talked about how I'm going to get on to talking about all these insights and different things that have been coming to mind. But it looks like I won't be able to do that so much because I'm having a crisis in cloud storage. I'm at 2.35 terabytes, so I have enough room on my phone to save the videos that I edit, but then it won't save them once I've edited them because it says I don't have enough storage, and I think it's because I don't have enough cloud storage, even though I have 60 gigs of space on my phone, but it'll want to upload to the cloud, so then it won't. Oddly enough, though, if I make a video and I don't edit it, so I don't need to resave it, It'll hopefully save to the phone. I don't think I've tried to make a video, so I should make this one short and hopefully it saves. And then I can upload it directly to YouTube. If it's a longer one, I can upload it to the cloud and then upload it to YouTube on my computer. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I can't get more than two terabytes of cloud storage through iCloud. So I just thought of a solution, which is finish organizing all the ones I've downloaded from the cloud onto my external hard drive and then upload it all onto Dropbox and then pay for that. It'd probably be another $14 a month, but I think it's worth it to keep what I've created safe because I could just download it onto the hard drive and think, oh, well, I have it on a hard drive, but then 
if it gets damaged or something, then it could all be gone. It's all uploaded to YouTube, but it wouldn't be in the little bit higher quality. It doesn't totally matter, but I feel like since I've put a lot of effort into talking to myself, which isn't effort at all, then I feel like I could at least make sure it stays safe. So I'll probably be spending tomorrow doing that sort of stuff and not talking to myself about these insights, which is okay because talking too much about those things might get me kind of far off into something else. Like today, I uploaded a video to YouTube and it said it uploaded hours before. So it said like 4.08, but it was like eight o'clock. So I could be in some kind of time warp right now that I elastic band back from. I don't think so. It's just kind of weird to see that a video I just uploaded a second ago and it didn't even take long at all says that I did it four hours ago. That's kind of a sign sometimes of being out of rhythm with the consensus. Another one is that I tried to send emails to somebody and they just wouldn't get them and no matter what I did they wouldn't go through so there's this miscommunication that happens when one is at a sort of different level of consciousness and it manifests in miscommunication via technology but really it's because the technology of consciousness is mismatched and we're not really living in the same realities even though physically we are. Um, at a deeper level we're not all living in the same reality and so like I said it manifests this technology not working and then if we communicate about that instead of about real communication blah blah and also I noticed when I was doing my Daya vlog earlier I did have some calm breathing and focused breathing not a lot but no tense breathing and the calmness interests me because it's interesting that when I talk to myself, I'm calm, I'm not tense, I'm focused. Because the only things that really make me calm right now are that relaxation audio, which I have to do, and coloring. And some people sometimes. And... I was thinking about and wondering about if when I talked about grieving the loss of my former self when I was first diagnosed with a so-called mental illness, I'm wondering if I was really grieving the loss of connection with the light world and living in the light world. And I'm back in this reason and still I'm back in this material reality for some reason because I'm still here. And. I didn't take any dopamine boosters today and by seven o'clock I was feeling tired, but it also could be because I ate some old food for dinner. It's Monday and it was made on Thursday, which was a bit too old and it didn't taste the greatest and I only ate a little bit and then I was like, this is gross. So it could have been just feeling a bit sick from eating that, which I shouldn't have, but I was too lazy to make food. And so I'll see if I continue to feel kind of tired by 7 or what happens and I think that's good though. If I feel tired by 7 and I start winding down and not doing all this creativity stuff, I'm fine with that. And other than that, today in a group I learned that Tulsi tea is really good for a nervous system tonic. and. 
also rose water a little bit and lemon juice in water and somebody said Tulsi tea prepares the nervous system for enlightenment which is kind of cool and one last thing was I watched a video by Jason Silva called the creative act an interior experience expressed outwardly and it's so fascinating because he's standing in a forest and the effects they use make it look like the forest that I saw that's magical. Plus what he's talking about is exactly what I'm going to design for myself, going through an experience in nature and beauty by myself. It's just so great. You have to watch that. I just got a message from my brain twin. He wants to talk. I was going to talk for up to 15 minutes, so but I'm not going to because I'd rather talk to a person than myself. So yeah, this is really, really crazy. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.